Hi, everybody. I'm Art Stevens, your host for the PR Masters podcast series. Today, it's my unique pleasure to spend time with a legend in our industry, and I really do mean legend. If that word applies to anybody at all, it applies to Robert L. Dillenschneider. Mr. Dillenschneider has taken the world of public relations by storm during the past number of years, and he's led the way in growth, innovation, a vision for the future, and extraordinary results for his long list of global clients. Uh, there is no one who has been of greater value to corporate CEOs in our lifetime than Bob Dylan Schneider. Uh, Bob, and I will call him Bob because most people do, Bob formed the Dylan Schneider Group in October 1991 and is headquartered in New York and Chicago. And the firm provides strategic advice and counsel to Fortune 500 companies and leading families and individuals around the world with experience in the fields ranging from mergers and acquisitions and crisis communications to marketing, government affairs, and international media. Now, before he formed his own firm, Bob served as president and chief executive officer of Hill & Olten from 1986 to 1991. And during that time period, he tripled the firm's revenues to nearly $200 million and delivered more than $30 million in profit. And to top that all off, he was with Hill & Olten for nearly 25 years. Bob started in public relations in 1967 in New York, shortly after he received his M.A. in journalism from Ohio State University and a B.A. from the University of Notre Dame. Bob is experienced in any number of communications disciplines, and he is frequently called upon by the media to provide commentary and strategic public relations insights on major news stories. And as indicated, Bob has counseled major corporations, professional groups, trade associations, and educational institutions, and he has assisted clients in dealings with the regulatory agencies, labor unions, and consumer groups, among others. He's volunteered his time to an, any number of organizations, too numerous to mention. But I will say that in 2001, he received an honorary doctorate of public service degree from Muskingum College. And in 2012, he received an honorary doctorate of humane letters from the University of New Haven. He has lectured many, many times over the years uh, before scores of professional organizations and colleges. So it's my pleasure, my distinct pleasure, and having known Bob personally for a number of years, it's my pleasure to have him as one of our PR Masters interviewees today. And Bob, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Thank you very much, Art, and uh, I don't deserve that build-up, but thank you. Well, Bob, I wanted to start, you know, you obviously have a reputation for being inside the corporate suite, probably more than anyone else in the public relations agency industry. How did you get there? How did you get there? You know, I know you spent a lot of years with uh, Hill and & Olden before you started your own. How did that evolve? Can you give us some background on that? The CEO universe is very small, and the CEOs talk to one another all the time. So if you can offer CEOs objective advice that really pays off for them, it makes a big difference. And one CEO will recommend you to another, and that's really what's happened over the years. I've hardly ever uh, reached out to a CEO and asked for business. Normally, 
they call me, and it's worked out pretty well. But it's really based on the objective advice that pays off for the CEO and how that CEO benefits from uh, the advice of his, how his company benefits. And it can be anything from his own personal conduct to how he deals with his employees, his customers, the financial community, uh, Washington, politicians at a state level or whatever. So it's it's a wide-ranging uh, situation. The other good news, at least for what I'm trying to do, is that many PR firms, if they do get to the CEO, are often uh, selling. And uh, that's a mistake. Uh, they shouldn't sell. They should try to advise objectively if they possibly can. No need to sell to the CEO. Advise and objectively to this man or woman, and uh, I think all will come out well. Bob, you have a strong reputation in terms of uh, working with CEOs. Everyone in our industry knows that. Tell us about your agency and and why you feel it is different from other agencies. My firm is generally people who are older, uh, above 50. Uh, There are many, many senior consultants who are tied up with the firm, ranging from the former head of the uh, IRS to uh, uh, top politicians. Uh, just along the way, we call on them from time to time on an as-needed basis. I don't think any other PR firm has this. Uh, we have a core group of about 20 people. Uh, those people are all uh, experienced. Many have more than 20, 25 years in the business. And so we bring that talent and those relationships and that range of outreach to clients, and it makes a big difference. Now, you you know, you had been president of, uh, of Hill Nolan, and obviously, as I indicated, you helped it grow tremendously. Why did you decide to start, if I may ask you this, why did you decide to start your own agency after having spent all those years at uh, Hill and Nolan? It was very clear that my time to move on was there, and uh, certain things were happening within the WPP group that owned Hill and Nolan that uh, I was not comfortable with, so I just pretty much said, I'm going to leave and start my own company. I started my own company with zero revenue, and uh, the good news is that enough people started calling, so we built up quite a significant business. And uh, today, it's a uh, it's a good business. It's not what it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but it's close, and, uh, and we continually get uh, clients and uh, referrals from other people, so the business is growing. You know, you've been an advocate, Bob, of transparency in the corporate world. I imagine that is one of the components of the much-needed advice that you give to CEOs. Did your thinking evolve as you began to work with more and more CEOs as to what it is that corporations should be doing in the public marketplace? Did it change your views about what it is that you would be sharing with the CEOs in terms of what you advocated that they should be doing? It's important for a top executive to stay ahead of the game. And what has happened in the past 25 or 30 years is that the game and the rules of the game have changed really dramatically. The issues that uh, CEOs deal with today are far different from what they used to deal with, say, 25 years ago. So understanding that, helping CEOs cope with that, uh, letting them know that uh, uh, there are solutions to the myriad of problems they've got is extremely helpful. Uh, trying to rely on something that happened 25 years ago isn't going to work. So you have to really uh, keep ahead of the game, hopefully lead the game if possible, and uh, and that's what works. 
So as a follow-up question to that, Bob, how do you stay ahead of the game? What techniques do you use? What research do you do? You know, who do you talk to in terms of what's happening out there that has a bearing on what CEOs should be thinking about and doing? It's important to be in the marketplace 24-7. I read around 13 or 14 newspapers a day. I actually read them. I don't look at them online because if you look at them online, you don't get the full flavor of what the reporter or the editor is trying to get across. I'm talking to people in the educational community all the time. Whenever I see an expert identified or whatever the topic is, I generally call that expert and plumb whatever that person has to say. Uh, The same is true with uh, Washington. Uh, Generally, if I see a uh, figure in Washington that is leading the way uh, and doing really uh, uh, remarkable things, I call that person on the phone and have a discussion with them, or I meet with them. That's sometimes even better. So that's also true in the financial community, which has changed markedly from the last 25 years. It used to be that reaching security analysts was everything. Today it's important, but reaching those people that are investors in your company is even more important. Bob, was there ever a time in terms of one situation that uh, took place under your watch, you know, that kind of changed your view about the role of public relations or or your relationship with the CEOs? I think so. When the Continental Bank in Chicago uh, went down, I was very active with the man named David Taylor, who was the CEO at that time. And it cut across uh, really uh, half a dozen, a dozen different uh, forms of what the Continental Bank was doing. And so my job was to be active in all those forms. And uh, it was really quite a uh, quite a time. The people who own the Continental Bank uh, came out well. The investors came out well. The customers came out well, and uh, everybody benefited from it. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience that propelled you, you know, to be able to, you know, offer the kind of value that you obviously have been giving to your corporate clients? Once you have a, a basic position, uh, stick with that position and find a way to adapt that position to different parts of the organization whenever you possibly can. But always stick with that basic position. Don't change things. Bobby, you know, you've you've had a number of clients for a very long time. I mean, to what do you owe that achievement? Why do they stick with you? I think that I stay in touch with the clients. We rarely ever lose a client. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the last client we've lost. I really can't think of it, but uh, we rarely ever lose a client. I stay in touch with the clients. Uh, for example, after this call today, I'm going to have an all-hands call where we talk about how we provide advice to a Fortune 10 company on a, on a weekly basis. And I'm going to look at all the hands that are going to be on the call yeah. and ask them for different ideas and suggestions. Does that mean all the ideas and suggestions will get to the client? No. But those that uh, have merit and seem like they're appropriate, they will, and the client, I believe, will benefit from it. The client has rarely received this kind of a waterfall of ideas. That's the reason we're still involved. Tell us about uh, today's uh, CEO compared with uh, the CEO of, say, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Has that CEO changed in, in terms of his or her 
responsibilities and the way the environment has changed and the regulations and in, in terms of all the bureaucracy? How has the role of the CEO changed? First of all, there are more women in the executive suite than there ever were, and we're going to see that continue for uh, some years to come. That's number one. Number two is the CEO generally was walled off years ago. Nobody got in to see that person. Today, that person is going to be accessible to virtually everyone. Number three, the CEO of uh, years past generally focused on only one or two things. Oftentimes, uh, and in fact, most times, the financial community and sometimes on the discipline the CEO brought to the party. That's changed today. Our CEOs today have to call across a whole range of different disciplines. And the way they do that is they find experts within each one of these disciplines and rely on them. That's key. No CEO can be the end all to everything. A lot of them 25, 30 years ago tried hard to do that. It didn't work. Uh, today, the CEO has to be somebody that can be uh, reached by literally anybody on virtually any topic. And uh, it's quite <clears throat> different today than it was 25 years ago. Yeah. The person who's becoming the CEO today uh, oftentimes doesn't come up through the ranks the way it used to be 25 years ago. The person today is uh, generally thought of and selected by the board of directors, uh, not the current CEO, and uh, uh, generally based on the merits of the person as well as the challenges the board sees over the next five, ten years. Who was the most interesting uh, CEO you ever worked with, Bob? Uh, Bob Crandall, who ran American Airlines. Uh, mm. Bob Crandall was uh, an outstanding CEO. Uh, he would sit at the end of a table while everybody was having dinner. Uh, he would sit there with a cigarette uh, and not have dinner and call on the men and women around that table uh, for their ideas and suggestions. Remarkable man. When he got on a plane, got into the cockpit with the pilots and rode up the front with the pilots so he understood what was going on. As the plane took off and was in the sky, Bob would walk down the aisle and talk to the customers and learn what was happening. Bob reached out to the uh, uh, stewardesses and uh, was one of the first people to really include males as stewards on the plane. So he was really quite something. He also opened up for American Airlines uh, a remarkable range of opportunity. Now, What's happening today with the airlines really shutting down and cutting way back? Uh, Bob would not have let that happen. We'd never be in this position that were he in the executive suite. That's interesting. That's interesting. Would Would you say that you were one of the early proponents of uh, CEO media training? Because uh, at one point, you know, uh, uh, corporations were well noted for, you know, no comments and, and not handling crisis very well. You obviously were deeply involved in crisis communications and obviously working with CEOs to, to help guide them through any issues or crises that came up. Would you say that, that that's accurate, that you were an early proponent of media training? Uh, I don't really believe in media training at all. I know there are a lot of people uh, out there that okay. do it and uh, uh, that uh, subscribe to it, but... Uh, I don't think somebody can be trained into a position of answering questions. Either you've got the answers and are able to articulate them, or you don't. If you're so choked up that you can't uh, really respond and make a, a serious comment, you don't deserve to be there. And no amount of training or uh, uh, help is going to get you there. So uh, I will spend time talking to somebody about 
what they're going to say, but training them, forget it, I don't do it. And I don't advocate it. I'm sorry to say that for all the traders who might hear this podcast, but uh, I just don't think there's much value in it. Very, very interesting. No, I value your point of view uh, without question, and obviously you're giving our listeners something to think about. Just switching the the subject for a moment, Bob, how did you get into public relations in the first place? Was this something you chose, or uh, did you get into it sort of accidentally? A pure fluke. I left Ohio State, and I was sitting at home uh, in my uh, breakfast room in Columbus, Ohio, and my father said, you really got to do something. I said, Dad, what do you have in mind? He said, why don't you go to New York and see what's there? So I said, okay. And he gave me a ticket on a Trailways bus. And I went from Columbus, Ohio, to uh, Port Authority of New York City. I got off the bus not knowing what to do. I looked in the paper, and this is a long time ago now, and saw ads for Ogilvy and Mather. So I answered one of the ads, and a man named Sam Fry saw me. And Sam Fry offered me a job in 1967, $11,000 a year. I said, Mr. Fry, I'll take it. Uh, Fry said, before you take the job, I'd like you to go over and meet some people at a firm called Hill and Knowlton. You might like them. And if you like them, go with them. They're a firm on the, on the rise. So I said, Mr. Fry, I really want your job, thinking that Fry was trying to dismiss me. Fry said, don't worry. He said, this job will be here tomorrow. Just go see the people at Hill and Knowlton. So I did. I went to 150 East 42nd Street, which is where the firm was headquartered at that time. I met Dick Darrow, who was from Wampakoneta, Ohio. Jim Cassidy, who was from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Bill Durbin, who was from St. Louis. And uh-huh. others, and they were just the same kind of person I was. I understood them. I understood the way they spoke. I liked them. I liked their candor. And so I <clears throat> took the job that offered... Uh, was $10,000 a year, $1,000 less than Ogilvy and Mather, because I thought I would do better there. Uh, Every year, while Sam Fry was still alive, I took him to lunch on his birthday and thanked him for what he did for me. Wow, wow, wow. And, of course, you became, uh, you know, CEO of Hill. No, you rose through the ranks. How did you do that, Bob? How did you rise through the ranks? At one point, the uh, firm, after a number of different account experiences, asked me to go to Chicago. And Dick Darrow said, I want you to open up the country and then the world. And I said, "Uh, Mr. Darrow, what do you have in mind? He said, you'll figure it out when you get to Chicago. So I did go to Chicago, and I started with a firm called Gardner-Jones. We changed the name to Hill Golden. And then we ended up opening 56 offices in the United States and more than 70 offices around the world. We went from having uh, 200 employees in the firm, Hill Golden, generally, more than 4,000. And uh, that's how the firm grew. It grew by adding clients. Whenever we had a client that was not well served, we went in and talked to them about why. And uh, if there was a way to correct it, we did. Uh, But uh, we were active, very active with the clients, not waiting for the client to call us. That was, I guess, extremely important. Was Mr. Hill around at the time? Did you ever run into him or or was that a different era altogether? John Hill uh, from Shelbyville, Indiana, was there, and uh, I had many encounters with him. He was uh, obviously a patriarch at the time. Uh, I would have lunch with John Hill, and uh, I would learn from John Hill uh, about the things that he did. John Hill 
invited my wife and myself to dinner at his home on many occasions, where he would have top people from around the world and the United States for dinner. He'd have a table of eight to ten people, and we'd discuss big ideas. And Hill brought me into those conversations, and they were extraordinarily helpful to me in my career. I can never thank John Hill enough for what he did. I still have on my desk here at home uh, John Hill's uh, desk material he gave me just before he wow. passed away. As he was dying, uh, unfortunately, uh, he came down to my office. And he said, you've done a great job for the firm, Bob. I said, thank you, Mr. Hill. He was always Mr. Hill, never John. And he said, I'm going to give you my desk set. He said, keep it with you. Uh, keep it uh, keep it clean and use it. And I still have that today. Wow, wow. That's a, sort of like passing the baton, huh, in, in some ways. <laughs> Interesting. It was. It was. Yeah. Hill was yeah. quite a guy. And, uh, yeah. again, Shelbyville, Indiana, his, his roots were uh, uh, in the roots of the United States. Hill and Knowlton started in Cleveland. Uh, Hill, apparently, at one point, said to Knowlton, I hear this town of New York is taking off. I'm going to New York. You stay here in Cleveland and keep the fire burning. That's how the firm started. Wow. Wow. Here we are today. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, Bob, obviously you've had a long and illustrious career in public relations. Tell me how you think it's changed since you got into it, and what do you envision to be its future going forward? The firm, uh, the, the business has changed markedly. It uh, used to be people that were totally involved in press relations. Uh, now it's totally across the board, virtually any kind of audience you would possibly imagine. So the serious public relations person is able to cut across a lot of different disciplines than they did in the past. That's one. Number two is the people who were in the beginning of public relations were generally people of high integrity. Uh, I can't say that for people today. Uh, people today are trying to sell and sell and sell. and They do whatever it takes to get the business. To me, that's a big mistake. Number three, the people who started the firm were Fundamentally, men. Uh, Hill and Olton, we had one woman for a long time, a woman named Mary Brown, who was very successful. I don't know what the number is today, but my guess is Hill and Olton is probably 60-40 or 40-60 in terms of the makeup of men and women. So that's changed pretty markedly. I think there are many, many changes that have taken place. Those people that are able to ride with the flow, adapt to the change, uh, succeed. But those people who can't uh, fall by the wayside. And generally, they're not good for the field because as they're clawing their way forward, they generally say things and do things that are inappropriate. And frequently, people that are serious about the field have to overcome that coming back. I've talked with many CEOs who've said they never want to work with PR people again based on what's happening. Well, mm. uh, fortunately, I've been able to convert some of them, and that's worked. Interesting, interesting. Well, you know... So in some ways, it's not changed for the better, obviously, despite technology. How do you see the role in technology and social media? What are your views about those new forms of communications? Well, first off, the, uh, uh, the sophistication of the public relations field has changed, and it's quite different from what it was say, 30 or 35 years ago. That's number one. Number two, when it comes to the uh, specifics you just mentioned, uh, I think public relations is... Uh, uh, rooted in a few simple sentences. 
if I can take a client and write down for the client in two or three sentences what the client stands for, I don't need social media. I mean, it's uh, there's no amount of communications that will get the story out as well as those two or three sentences. Most people never take the time to write that two or three sentences. They launch into social media. Is social media good? Sure. I mean, it gets your story out. It reaches a lot of people. But you've got to have the substance before you reach into social media. Oftentimes in social media, it's guesswork, and people don't know what to do. So uh, is social media important? Yeah, it's there. Now, what's the future going to bring? I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting because uh, right now there's a lot of uh, uh, concern about social media and what it uh, what it does, its capabilities. We'll have to see how that develops. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. Bob, you, you do a lot of volunteering uh, with the organizations and causes. Two questions. First of all, how do you find the time to do it? And then which of them are really the most important to you? You have to be willing to give back, and uh, that's really a key to life. And if you don't give back, you've made a statement about yourself and how you feel about things. Selfish, not good. So uh, I find the importance of giving back extremely uh, uh, important. The groups that I've been supporting through the nonprofit way over the years have been have changed quite a lot. Uh, my church is very important to me right now, and I'll do whatever I can to help them. Uh, Notre Dame, where I went uh, and took my undergraduate work, and it shaped a lot of my career, is important. I've established grants at uh, Scripps Howard, where my father worked, uh, University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, where he went to school, uh, St. Charles, which was a high school in Ohio, and a few other places. And I give every year to outstanding people that uh, reflect uh, values I think uh, are important to the field. I get nothing from this except the good feeling that people are moving ahead as a result of it. So that's been a big plus for me. Uh, I try to look every time I make a donation to anybody at where the money goes. If it goes into the pockets of people that uh, are running the organization, I don't give it. I want to, I want that money to go toward the purpose of the organization. We spent billions of dollars already uh, with Ukraine. There's no monitoring of that money. That, to me, is a travesty. It's a real mistake. I think if we uh, monitor the money, it will go carefully uh, to places that we uh, think it should go. Uh, David Petraeus was the uh, uh, top man in Afghanistan for us. Uh, Petraeus knew where every nickel and dime went, and I really salute him as a result of that. Our departure from Afghanistan, as you all know, was not good. I think Petraeus would agree with that, but... Uh, that's where we are today. Bob, you have been a, and still are, a prolific writer. You've written, my God, like 18 books, including titles like uh, Power and Influence, A Briefing for Leaders on Power, The Critical 14 Years of Your Professional Life, and so on. How do you find time to do all that writing? You've written for, obviously, so many different publications, including, of course, those in, in the field of public relations as well. Tell us about that. That almost seems like a, a second career for you, being a, a prolific writer and author. I enjoy writing, and I enjoy writing on a specific topic. For example, uh, right now I'm focused on a book called Character because I think that uh, <clears throat> character in our leaders in this country and around the world to really get us to the next level. We don't have it. 
So we've got to find people who have character and uh, get them moving in the right direction. I've written a book called The Handbook of Public Relations, which is really just out. And uh, the reason I wrote that book is because and it's made up of maybe a dozen different people with a dozen and a dozen different disciplines, all of whom were at the top of their game. The reason I wrote that book was I felt that things were changing so much in the business. There was no way I could capture everything, but these 12 people were able to capture things. So Frank Luntz, who is probably the number one researcher in the world today, uh, has a chapter, and anybody interested in research should read the Luntz chapter. It's a very important chapter. Those kind of chapters are throughout the book. Well, Bob, what do you uh, consider your style of management to be? You've obviously led a major company, well, several major companies, Hill and Knowlton, as well as uh, your own present organization. You've obviously managed and supervised a lot of people over the years. What do you consider your style of management to be? Trying to stay ahead of the game and uh, listening to people, constantly reading, uh, giving feedback, offering respect. That's extremely important to other people, no matter who they are. Uh, being as gracious to the CEO and to the person at the bottom end of the rung as you possibly can be. All those are big, big factors. Uh, well, given all of that and the people you manage, obviously the subjects of diversity and inclusion, you know, have come into the lexicon in the last number of years and, and obviously uh, long-awaited discussion on, on those subjects. Do you have any particular views on diversity and inclusion, both on a broad scale and secondarily in the world of public relations? The best person for the job is the person that ought to be on the job. Because there's a man or a woman, an old person, a young person, uh, they live in the United States or some other part of the world, being selected, it's a mistake. Select the the best person for the job, no matter who they are or where they are. That is really the most important important and fundamental part of this. So does, does diversity count? I guess you could add it up to diversity, but it really doesn't. I mean, you just select the best people, and if you do, you'll eventually have a diverse organization. So it doesn't really make any difference how many men and women you have. What makes a difference is you have the right people. Bob, I've got a few more questions for you, and I appreciate your, you know, your candor and insights uh, very, very, very much. Here, here's a question that's, uh, you know, that I, I'd like to ask all of our guests. I get interesting uh, perspectives, you know, when I when I ask this question, and that is, who are your heroes? Who are your heroes? My heroes, <laughs> uh, my heroes are a very small number of people. Uh, my dad is a hero for me. Uh, he set the, uh, set the set the standard, set the gold bar. My brother is a hero. He's a lot smarter than I I am. He's gone now, unfortunately but a great hero. Uh, there are a few heroes who are CEOs. Barney Clark, who used to run Columbia Gas, is a hero. Uh, Barney never, ever uh, told somebody what to do. Uh, he would uh, offer ideas, and people did them because they were smart ideas. Barney Clark was a brilliant uh, CEO. Bob Crandall was a brilliant CEO, a real hero. Uh, Bob Crandall motivated people and uh, got them to go... Uh, the extra mile in virtually every case. Uh, there are many heroes. There, Christy Hefner is a tremendous heroine. Uh, she is a person that uh, took over Playboy Enterprises, uh, kept her own 
image uh, and uh, attitude and way of thinking about things at the forefront. Never gave anything to anybody that wasn't totally deserved, and has turned out to be quite a uh, quite a significant person out there. So there are a lot of people like that, and I admire them. I admire all of them. Uh, and another question I'd like to ask you about your personal life, and that is, what, what are your hobbies? You can't possibly be working all the time, or well, maybe you are, but uh, do you have any hobbies? What do you have fun at doing? Well, I'm not working all the time, number one. I, uh, one of my hobbies is, uh, I don't know if it's a hobby or not, but I love traveling. And uh, I've traveled virtually the entire world. Many of the spots that are in the news every day, I've been there, and I've met the leadership there. That's always been very, very interesting and important to me. Another hobby I have, again, it's, I don't regard it as a as a hobby like woodworking or something like that, but is uh, is just talking to people. I enjoy the idea of getting together with five, ten, a dozen people and exchanging ideas. I try to do that at least three or four times a week, and uh, when that when you do that, it makes a huge difference. Interesting, interesting. Two more questions, Bob, and I again, I appreciate your candor. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, <laughs> that's a tough question. I uh, want to be remembered as a person that uh, stepped up to the plate and did the right thing and uh, hopefully advanced society uh, a little bit. That's how I'd like to be remembered. That's it. I wish that uh, there were other more profound things I could say, say, but there aren't. That's all I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered for doing the right thing for my family, the right thing for my community. And I hope that uh, uh, people will think about me, uh, at least for a few years, uh, in a constructive way. Most people are not thought about. There are many wonderful people who existed 10, 15, 20 years ago that nobody thinks about today. Uh, I wonder how they wanted to be remembered. Uh, it's difficult, but, uh, but it's an interesting question. And finally, Bob, you know, given the fact that uh, you will be with us for years to come, where do you see Bob Dylan Schneider in the years ahead? I see uh, myself trying as hard as I possibly can to uh, uh, advance the field of public relations because I think virtually everything today pivots on public relations. So I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can to do that. I want to see the right people in public office. I want to see the right people running corporations. I want to see the right people advising corporations, investing in corporations. I want to get rid of the charlatans and the phony, uh, the phonies out there who really just impede and set things, things back. There are a ton of them out there trying to make money off you, and I think that's not a good thing. Wow. Okay. On that note, Bob, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today on PR Masters podcast series. You were eloquent, as I knew you would be, and you were candid, as I knew you would be. So thank you for joining us, Bob. I truly appreciate it, and our, and our listeners do, too. I hope there's some value there for your people. Thank you very much. Tremendous value. And I'd like to thank all of you today for joining us. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and I am managing partner of the Stevens Group, and I'm signing off. So see you soon with the next PR Masters podcast, and take care, everybody, over and out.